Hi again. It's Debbie Cook. I'm the past radio host of the D&B Garden Show. I'm a gardener. I'm a certified arborist. And I'm back with the May edition of the D&B Supply Lawn and Garden Podcast. And yay, it's finally May. So lots of great things uh, happen in May when it comes to gardening. We can plant almost anything, especially after the second half of the month. Our last average frost date is May 10th. Average being, of course, that it can go a couple of weeks either direction. But typically, the second half of May, we can get pretty serious about gardening and planting our annual um, flowers. We can plant our our warm season vegetables like our tomatoes and our pumpkins and our squash and our melons, the things that really love the warm weather. But along with the warm weather and the warm soil comes some problems with insects. May is the time of year that a lot of insects that we find most troublesome show up in our gardens and leave us scratching our head as to what we might want to do with them. So I thought that what I'd do this month is talk a little bit about some of the common insects that we're going to find that you might have trouble with, Um, give you a few solutions as to how you might deal with those insects, and do a few pointers at the end of the show so you'll know some of your gardening chores that you need to put on your list. So one of the things that I'd like to talk about before we get started talking about insects is that it's really important to get a positive ID on anything that you're going to manage. And so a positive ID is really important. This time of year, things are so seasonal that we kind of know what insects are going to show up this time of year. But I want to give you the heads up on a website that you can go to that will give you such wonderful information. And that is the Pacific Northwest Pest Alert Network. And if you just Google PNW Pest Alert Network, that will come up and you'll be able to get some great information. This is a website that was originally developed in 2002 by agricultural professors from the University of Idaho and Oregon State University, thinking that it would be a really helpful way for agricultural producers to better communicate what's going on and what problems they're finding in their fields. And then in 2015, they said, you know what? We really need to expand this, and they expanded it to include residential and landscape um, gardens, pest information for for us, for home gardeners. And so one of the things that it does is it lets people know, it gives you an alert. If you sign up for this network, they'll send you an email and say, we have found this insect in the valley right now, um, or we know that, you know, this is happening at this time. It's a great network and I really encourage you to sign up for that if you want to know what could be happening in the garden at any given time. So let's get on with it and talk a little bit about some specific insects that you might um, have some trouble with. One of the aphids of course are showing up. They're the first insects that basically show up and they show up by the zillions. Uh, You won't just find one or two insects. They show up on trees, shrubs. You can find them on your vegetables. You can find them on your flowers. They're a little tear-shaped insect. They are a sucking insect. So they do have a tendency on um, annual smaller plants to kind of weaken the plant on larger shrubs and trees. If they're out away from your patio or from your driveway where they're not going to be a problem, I probably wouldn't worry about those on larger woody ornamentals. But they can be very messy because they suck in sap and they, sorry to say it, they poop out sap, uh, which is commonly called honeydew, about as quickly, which is a very sticky substance 
that will get on your cars or on your patio furniture. It's hard to get off. It can damage the paint finish if you don't wash it off soon enough. And so in those instances, you may need to treat for aphids on your little small plants. Easy enough to go out there and blast those things off with some water. Or you can use a soap spray on those insects. Um, As the weather heats up and the season goes on, those insects are less and less of a problem. But at the beginning of the season, it's not uncommon to find thousands of those insects on any given plant. The other thing that we might find this time of year, which drives everybody crazy because somehow they're in your house, and that's ants. I have a tendency to get ants. I have a window box outside of my kitchen window, and I have a bad feeling that there might be ants somehow in that window box because I get them coming in behind my kitchen sink, really, underneath my window. And what I have had a lot of success using is a product that's called Tero Ant Killer, T-E-R-R-O. It's basically borax that they have made into a syrupy form. You put it on a little square of paper and the ants will come and eat that and take it back to the nest. The thing about ants, you have to realize You can certainly spray them with a soap spray. You could spray them with an insecticide. But what you're doing is killing the ants that you're seeing. What you need to do is use a product, which is a bait of some sort. And boric acid is quite toxic to ants. It will, they will carry it back to the nest. It collects on the hairs of their, of their body, or else they go back and feed it, you know, to the young that are in their nest. Uh, But they basically have to carry this stuff back into the nest to get rid of the whole nest. So it's it's a slow process to get rid of ants, but it's worth it to be patient and let whatever product you're using do its work. You can make up a solution of like a borax powder and uh, maybe I've heard people have used jelly. Um, any of the sweet eating um, ants would be attracted to that. Um, and you can do that. I have found it pretty easy to just use this taro ant killer, which of course you can find at D&B. I put a little drop and the ants will just circle around that drop, that borax syrup until it's gone. And then I'll put another drop on and that goes on for a while. The hard part is leaving the ants alone and letting them take it back to the nest. So that's, that's tricky. Okay. Another insect that I'd like to talk about that shows up about this time of year, we all have uh, turf grass, and this is a turf grass billbug. It used to be we only had really the bluegrass billbug. Now we also have the Colorado billbug, um, something called the hunting billbug. The Phoenician billbug is, um, has been found here. So there's many different kinds of billbugs here, but they all operate the same way. They are a root-damaging um, insect. They are a little um, black weevil. They have a snout. They overwinter as adults. Um, They show up about the middle of May, and they find a place to overwinter that's protected, whether it be in plant debris, whether it be under bark, under the siding of your house. Um, There's lots of different places where they may overwinter. Um, But they begin to come out and feed about the middle of May, first part of June. And they will continue to feed for probably about two weeks before they begin laying eggs. And then they will lay their eggs on the stem, on the grass stems. The eggs will hatch um, in about 10 days. And the larva will begin to feed on the crowns of the plants and on the roots of the grass. How do you know you've got these things? 
Well, the first thing you're probably going to notice is you will see irregular brown shaped spots in your lawn for no good reason. The sprinklers, you know, check to make sure that your, your sprinklers are covering those areas. But one of the real common ways to check for billbug is to go out and just lift off the dead grass. If it lifts right up, if it does, you don't have to tug it. If it lifts right off with no grass roots, it's a pretty good indication that you may have um, the billbug. You can certainly look around at the edge of the dead where the dead meets really good grass because these insects are going to continue to feed moving out further and further away for the good grass roots. So those spaces will enlarge. But there are grub controls out there that you could use the earlier in the season, of course, that you can get a handle on these new small little grubs, the more effective it's going to be because the smaller they are, uh, of course, the more affected they will be by this chemical that you choose to use. There will be, uh, I mean, you will need to treat for these insects or you will have a lot of damage. The Denver and the hunting billbug have a longer egg laying cycle. And so because of the length of the season, sometimes those insects may overwinter in the soil as, as a large pupa um, or large larva. And so you might see damage earlier in the season than you would with, with the regular bluegrass billbug. Let me say that one of the things that you can do to avoid this in, in the long run is if you are thinking of putting in a new type of turf, you might consider using um, something that is not a bluegrass because these insects are attracted to bluegrass lawns. But things like perennial rye or fine fescues or those new turf type tall fescues, they have a high, a high level of endophyte fungus. And an endophyte fungus is a naturally occurring fungus that's in the grass blade that acts as a natural insecticide and it repels those bill bugs. So if you have got a fescue, one of the turf type fescue lawns, you will really not be affected um, by the bill bug. So one of the things that's very effective against the larva are beneficial nematodes. You have to be using them at the right time. You have to purchase those nematodes from a well-known source because they are a living organism that you're going to be using. They're a round worm that will attack the larva of the insect. And so that's something that you could certainly use if you choose not to use any of the grub controls. You could try the beneficial nematodes. The other pointer I'll give you is don't just treat the area, the dead area, treat your entire lawn. If you suspect that you have got the bill bug, check the whole thing. The other thing that I'll just give you a heads up on is if you've got dandelions or other things that are blooming like violets or any blooming plants, even weeds that are in your grass, Mow those off before you treat the lawn and collect those flowers because most of the insecticides that you would use to treat the bill bug in your lawn are also toxic to bees. And so you want to make sure that you get the flowers off and the bees aren't attracted to your lawn if you're going to use that. And once again, early treatment of that is probably the way to go. So there you go, the story of bill bugs. The next insect I want to talk about is also a root feeding insect commonly found on ornamental plants. And it's an insect called the black vine weevil. The name says what it looks like. It's a weevil. So it's also a little black beetle with a snout, a little curved snout. The thing about these insects is, is they, first of all, they can't fly. So they basically have to walk between plants and walk up and down plants. The adult insect is what is notching your leaves. So if you've got like lilacs 
or rhododendrons or peonies or anything like that where you see a notched leaf that looks like somebody's been out there with pinking shears cutting along the edge of your leaves, that is an indicator that the black vine weevil is at work on your plant. So do we care about the adult insect notching those leaves? Not especially because it is unsightly, but it doesn't damage the plant. The adult insect is just, like I said, notching. You will see little square-shaped notches basically around the edge of the plant. But she lays her eggs at the base of the plant. The, um, the eggs hatch, and then the larvae feed on the feeder roots of the plant. So what you might notice sometimes if your plant is also being notched, you might notice that the plant is beginning to turn yellow, that it is maybe a little bit wilty, uh, that it's just not as healthy as you think that it should be. And that would because the, be because the larva of that black pine weevil is basically eating all of the roots off of your plant. What can you do about it? Well, they like moist soil. So one of the things that you can do is to try to dry out the soil as best you can. You could try using um, diatomaceous earth. That is, um, it's a flower-like product that's made out of fossilized, basically aquatic sea organisms. They're very sharp and they slice up insects and cause them to dehydrate. But because these insects don't fly, a couple of ways to get a handle on these is you can go out and they're also night feeders, but you can go out during the day when these insects basically stay mostly on the plant. You can put like a white cloth or something underneath the plant that you're concerned about. Give the plant a good shake and those insects will fall onto that, that cloth. You can gather it up and throw them in a bucket of soapy water. The other thing that you can always do is try a product called Tanglefoot. And Tanglefoot is a really gluey substance that basically captures insects by them sticking to it. And because the black vine weevil can't fly, they are commonly walking up and down plant and around the plant. And using that Tanglefoot is a good way to get, to get a handle on those things. If you choose to use a chemical treatment, um, once again, you're going to start using it in mid-May, um, a little bit earlier, No, probably no later than early June, to take care of uh, those insects that are feeding on the root. So root weevils can cause all kinds of damage. It's usually not the adult insect, like I said, that's causing the damage, but at their larvae. One of the things that I'll caution you about is the black vine weevil notches the leaves, like I said, looking like pinking shears. One of the beneficial insects, which would be our leaf cutter bees, will also notch leaves. But what they do is they'll take almost a big half circle, a big C shape out of the side of your leaf. And so don't confuse the leaf cutter bee with the black vine weevil, because while the leaf cutter bee is also taking a section of your leaf, not harming the plant, they take that section of leaf back to their little nest where they will stick the leaf in. So when, the lar when their egg hatches and the larva can begin feeding on that leaf as they pupate and exit that hole. So beneficial, know the difference. The other thing I'd like to say is most of these insects I'm talking about have some sort of natural predators. Uh, while they may not have enough to do all of the work, they do have enough to help us. So one of the things that I would highly recommend is learn to identify your beneficial insect, not only the adult insect, but the larval 
um, stage because the larva looked a lot different than um, the adult insect plants. Okay, let me see. The other thing I'd like to mention, you should be continuing your treatment for your lilac ash borer. Um, you would continue that treatment. These are topical treatments. If you've got ash borers, you would need to treat topically, which means spray the trunk and the large crotch areas and some of the larger branches. And you don't need to treat the whole tree. You don't need to treat the leaves. But systemic insecticides do not work on that particular insect, so don't use those. It's time to treat for a couple of our fruit insects. So if you are growing apples it's time to or pears, it's time to treat for the codling moth. They are a little buff-colored moth, like I said, kind of a tannish brown color um, that shows up about the middle of, uh, of the month. They overwinter as full-grown larvae basically, under the bark, sometimes near the surface of the soil or in debris at the base of the tree. They fly up into the tree, lay their eggs on the, on the fruit. The larva of, those, of the coddling moth wants to tunnel into the center of the apple. They prefer to feed on the seed, uh, but they certainly cause a lot of damage on their way to the middle of that apple. What product you choose to use, you would need to continue. There are two and because our winters have been so mild, sometimes three generations of these insects throughout the season. Um, so start your um, control early and continue right up until harvest. Whatever you choose to use, whatever product you choose to use, will tell you when to stop spraying, how many days you need to stop spraying before you harvest that fruit. The same goes for the cherry fruit fly. This insect overwinters as a pupa in the soil under the tree. They fly up out of the ground into the tree. They lay their eggs on the developing cherry. Of course, nobody wants to eat a wormy cherry. So you would need to begin about the middle of May. And once again, you would do the same thing. You would continue to treat up until harvest time, paying attention to how many days you need to wait between the time that you spray that last spray and the time you harvest your cherries. It's really important to clean up all of the fruit from the ground that falls. Anything that's dead and hanging on the tree, you want to clean that up. And those are the things you most want to walk for. What's most important to do this time of year? Basically, pay attention to the way you're watering. Learn how your irrigation um, is moving in your own soil. It should be getting down a good you know, 10 to 12 inches. If that's the case, you're only going to need to water a few times a week, even in the heat of summer. But you're going to have to encourage those roots to grow deep. And there's only one way to do that. And that is to do deep and infrequent irrigation. If you're overwatering, you could develop a root rot. That is almost impossible to correct. And so heads up, especially on the clay soil. If you planted bulbs, you've got to leave those leaves on there for a good um, six to eight weeks, preferably eight weeks. Uh, if you remove the foliage too too early, it's going to affect your flower your flower production for next year. So you've got to be patient about that. Other than that, folks, it's time to plant things. And I am pretty excited about May. I love it. And I hope you do too. I hope you've got a whole list of chores that'll keep you busy and happy in the garden. And I'll be back in June to give you some more tips about what should be happening in your garden. Have a really great month and I'll be back in June. Bye-bye.